Sketches by Boz, Section 40. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens, Section 40. Characters, Chapter 8. The Mistaken Milliner, A Tale of Ambition. Miss Amelia Martin was pale, tallish, thin, and two-and-thirty, what ill-natured people would call plain, and police reports interesting. She was a milliner and dressmaker, living on her business and not above it. If you had been a young lady in service and had wanted Miss Martin, as a great many young ladies in service did, you would just have stepped up in the evening to number 47 Drummond Street, George Street, Euston Square, and after casting your eye on a brass door-plate, one foot ten by one and a half, ornamented with a great brass knob at each of the four corners, and bearing the inscription, Miss Martin, Millinery and Dressmaking in all its branches, you'd just have knocked two loud knocks at the street-door, and down would have come Miss Martin herself, in a merino gown of the newest fashion, black velvet bracelets on the genteelest principle, and other little elegancies of the most approved description. If Miss Martin knew the young lady who called, or if the young lady who called had been recommended by any other young lady whom Miss Martin knew, Miss Martin would forthwith show her upstairs into the two-pair front, and chat she would, so kind, so comfortable, it really wasn't like a matter of business she was so friendly, and then Miss Martin, after contemplating the figure and general appearance of the young lady in service with great apparent admiration, would say how well she would look, to be sure, in a low dress with short sleeves, made very full in the skirts with four tucks in the bottom, to which the young lady in service would reply in terms expressive of her entire concurrence in the notion, and of the virtuous indignation with which she reflected on the tyranny of Mrs., who wouldn't allow a young girl to wear a short sleeve of an afternoon, no, nor nothing smart, nor even a pair of earrings, let alone hiding people's heads of hair under them frightful caps. At the termination of this complaint, Miss Amelia Martin would distinctly suggest certain dark suspicions that some people were jealous on account of their own daughters, and were obliged to keep their servants' charms under, for fear they should get married first, which was no uncommon circumstance. Leastways, she had known two or three young ladies in service who had married a great deal better than their missuses, and they were not very good-looking either and then the young lady would inform miss martin in confidence that how one of their young ladies was engaged to a young man and was going to be married and missus was so proud about it that there was no bearing of her but how she needn't hold her head quite so high neither for after all he was only a clerk and after expressing due contempt for clerks in general and the engaged clerk in particular and the highest opinion possible of themselves and each other miss martin and the young lady in service would bid each other good-night in a friendly but perfectly genteel manner and the one went back to her place and the other to her room on the second-floor front there is no saying how long Miss Amelia Martin might have continued this course of life, how extensive a connection she might have established among young ladies in service, or what amount her demands upon their quarterly receipts might have ultimately attained, had not an unforeseen train of circumstances directed her thoughts to a sphere of action very different from dressmaking or millinery. A friend of Miss Martin's, who had long been keeping company with an ornamental painter and decorator's journeyman, 
at last consented on being at last asked to do so to name the day which would make the aforesaid journeyman a happy husband it was a monday that was appointed for the celebration of the nuptials and miss amelia martin was invited among others to honour the wedding dinner with her presence it was a charming party summer's town the locality at a front parlour the apartment the ornamental painter and decorator's journeyman had taken a house no lodgings nor vulgarity of that kind but a house four beautiful rooms and a delightful little wash-house at the end of the passage which was the most convenient thing in the world for the bridesmaids could sit in the front parlour and receive the company and then run into the little wash-house and see how the pudding and boiled pork were getting on the copper and then pop back into the parlour again as snug and comfortable as possible and such a powder it was beautiful kidderminster carpet six brand-new cane-bottomed stained chairs three wine-glasses and a tumbler on each sideboard farmer's girl and farmer's boy on the mantelpiece girl tumbling over a stile and boy spitting himself on the handle of a pitchfork long white dimity curtains in the windows and in short everything on the most genteel scale imaginable then the dinner there was baked leg of mutton at the top boiled leg of mutton at the bottom pair of fowls and leg of pork in the middle porter pots at the corners pepper mustard and vinegar in the centre vegetables on the floor and plum pudding and apple pie and tartlets without number to say nothing of cheese and celery and watercresses and all that sort of thing as to the company miss amelia martin herself declared on a subsequent occasion that much as she had heard of the ornamental painter's journeyman's connection she never could have supposed it was half so genteel there was his father such a funny old gentleman and his mother such a dear old lady and his sister such a charming girl and his brother such a manly-looking young man with such an eye but even all these were as nothing when compared with his musical friends, Mr. and Mrs. Jennings Rodolph, from White Conduit, with whom the ornamental painter's journeyman had been fortunate enough to contract an intimacy while engaged in decorating the concert-room of that noble institution. To hear them sing separately was divine, but when they went through the tragic duet of Red Ruffian Retire, it was, as Miss Martin afterwards remarked, thrilling and why as mr jennings rodolph observed why were they not engaged at one of the patent theatres if he was to be told that their voices were not powerful enough to fill the house his only reply was that he would be back himself for any amount to fill russell square a statement in which the company after hearing the duet expressed their full belief so they all said it was shameful treatment and both mr and mrs jennings rodolph said it was shameful too and mr jennings rodolph looked very serious and said he knew who his malignant opponents were but that they had better take care of how far they went for if they irritated him too much he had not quite made up his mind whether he wouldn't bring the subject before parliament and they all agreed that it would serve him quite right and it was very proper that such people should be made an example of so mr jennings rodolph said he'd think of it when the conversation resumed its former tone mr jennings rodolph claimed his right to call upon a lady and the right being conceded 
trusted Miss Martin would favour the company, a proposal which met with unanimous approbation, whereupon Miss Martin, after sundry hesitatings and coughings, with a preparatory choke or two, and an introductory declaration that she was frightened to death to attempt it before such great judges of the art, commenced a species of treble chirruping containing frequent allusions to some young gentleman of the name of Henry, with an occasional reference to madness and broken hearts. Mr. Jennings Rodolph frequently interrupted the progress of the song by ejaculating, "'Beautiful! Charming! Brilliant! Oh, splendid!' etc., and at its close the admiration of himself and his lady knew no bounds. "'Did you ever hear so sweet a voice, my dear?' inquired Mr. Jennings Rodolph of Mrs. Jennings Rodolph. "'Never. Indeed, I never did, love.' replied Mrs. Jennings Rodolph. "'Don't you think Miss Martin, with a little cultivation, would be very like Signora Marabody, my dear?' asked Mr. Jennings Rodolph. "'Just exactly the very thing that struck me, my love,' answered Mrs. Jennings Rodolph. And thus the time passed away. Mr. Jennings Rodolph played tunes on a walking-stick, and then went behind the parlour-door and gave his celebrated imitations of actors, edge-tools, and animals. Miss Martin sang several other songs with increased admiration every time, and even the funny old gentleman began singing. His song had properly seven verses, but as he couldn't recollect more than the first one, he sang that over seven times apparently very much to his own personal gratification and then all the company sang the national anthem with national independence each for himself without reference to the other and finally separated all declaring that they never had spent so pleasant an evening and miss martin inwardly resolving to adopt the advice of mr jennings rodolph and to come out without delay now coming out either in acting or singing or society or facetiousness, or anything else, is all very well, and remarkably pleasant to the individual principally concerned, if he or she can but manage to come out with a burst, and being out to keep out and not go in again. But it does unfortunately happen that both consummations are extremely difficult to accomplish, and that the difficulties of getting out at all in the first instance, and if you surmount them of keeping out in the second, are pretty much on a par, and no slight ones either and so miss amelia martin shortly discovered it is a singular fact there being ladies in the case that miss amelia martin's principal foible was vanity and the leading characteristic of mrs jennings rodolph an attachment to dress dismal wailings were heard to issue from the second-floor front of number forty seven drummond street george street euston square it was miss martin practising half-suppressed murmurs disturbed the calm dignity of the white conduit orchestra at the commencement of the season it was the appearance of mrs jennings rodolph in full dress that occasioned them miss martin studied incessantly the practising was the consequence mrs jennings rodolph taught gratuitously now and then the dresses were the result weeks passed away the white conduit season had begun and progressed and was more than half over the dressmaking business had fallen off from neglect, and its profits had dwindled away almost imperceptibly. A benefit night approached. Mr. Jennings Rodolph yielded to the earnest solicitations of Miss Amelia Martin, and introduced her personally to the comic gentleman whose benefit it was. The comic gentleman was all smiles and blandness. He had composed a duet expressly for the occasion, and Miss Martin should sing it with him. The night arrived. 
There was an immense room, ninety-seven sixpenneths of gin and water, thirty-two small glasses of brandy and water, five-and-twenty bottled ales and forty-one yaguses, and the ornamental painter's journeyman, with his wife and a select circle of acquaintance, were seated at one of the side-tables near the orchestra. The concert began, song sentimental by a light-haired young gentleman in a blue coat and bright basket-buttons, applause, another song doubtful by another gentleman in another blue coat and more bright basket-buttons, increased applause, duet Mr. Jennings rode off and Mrs. Jennings rode off, red ruffian retire, great applause solo miss julia montague positively on this occasion only i am a friar enthusiasm occasional duet comic mr h taplin the comic gentleman and miss martin the time of day bravo bravo cried the ornamental painter's journeyman's party as miss martin was gracefully led in by the comic gentleman go to work harry cried the comic gentleman's personal friends Tap, 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 went the leader's bow on the music-desk. The symphony began, and was soon afterwards followed by a faint kind of ventricular chirping, proceeding apparently from the deepest recesses of the interior of Miss Amelia Martin. "'Sing out!' shouted one gentleman in a white greatcoat. "'Don't be afraid to put the steam on, old gal!' exclaimed another. "'Sss!' went the five-and-twenty bottled ales. "'Shame! Shame!' remonstrated the ornamental painter's journeyman's party. "'Sss!' went the bottled ales again, accompanied by all the gins and a majority of the brandies. "'Turn them geese out!' cried the ornamental painter's journeyman's party, with great indignation. "'Sing out!' whispered Mr. Jennings Rudolph. "'So I do,' responded Miss Amelia Martin. "'Sing louder!' said Mrs. Jennings Rudolph. "'I can't,' replied Miss Amelia Martin. "'Off, off, off!' cried the rest of the audience. "'Bravo!' shouted the painter's party. "'It wouldn't do. Miss Amelia Martin left the orchestra with much less ceremony than she had entered it, and as she couldn't sing out, never came out. The general good-humour was not restored until Mr. Jennings Rodolph had become purple in the face by imitating divers quadrupeds for half an hour without being able to render himself audible.' and to this day neither has Miss Amelia Martin's good humour been restored, nor the dresses made for and presented to Mrs. Jennings Rodolph, nor the local abilities which Mr. Jennings Rodolph once staked his professional reputation that Miss Martin possessed. End of section 40